Hi, I'm Melanie Alnwick. Welcome to a, another version of the Mansion Murders podcast, Mansion Murders trial. We are about two weeks since the guilty verdict came in. And when Paula Wagner and I last spoke with you guys, there were still so many questions we had about what was the jury thinking? How did they arrive at their verdict? And today we have a special episode here for you because we do have a, an exclusive interview with one of the Mansion Murder trial jurors. Paul? Juror number nine has agreed to come in. Thank you very much for being here. We really appreciate it because uh, it gives us some insight that we don't get. You know, we sit there for the trial and we watch your reactions and we try and guess at what you're thinking when you're seeing some of the stuff that we're seeing. Melanie and I talked a lot about how so much stuff was thrown at you that it seemed like it would be confusing. Uh, it was confusing to us sometimes. Let's just take that question right now. You got a lot of information in that trial. Did some of it sit with you and you said, I have no idea what this really means? There was some stuff that we definitely wanted to go back to. The timeline was one of those things. But I also think we were all there for a very long time and had a lot of time to think about it during the trial. So... I think we had all distilled it largely down to very specific things that we were wondering about rather than spending hours and hours and hours going through all that evidence. And someone had said that to me too. We were all kind of trying to handicap how long is it going to take and if it goes into week two or week three, what does that mean? And folks were sort of cautioning, there's a lot of material to go through a lot and then another person said well wait a second these jurors have been sitting with this information distilling this information thinking about this information for the last six weeks so there probably aren't that many things are going to have to go through did you guys even ask for any pieces of evidence to see we there was one picture that we all swear that we saw that wasn't in the evidence interesting book. and it was and it may have been out of the video, but it, I think it was a picture. And it was of the pizza box opened with the pizza inside and with the entire pizza with like one or two pieces missing. And we all swear we saw it, but it was but not you in the find evidence it. book. So we asked if we could have it, and they said, no, everything that you're supposed to get is there. Well, that's interesting because when they did release the photos to us, there was one slice of pizza, and then there was the two pizza boxes sitting in the room where the three were found. And a close-up picture of the evidence technician's gloved hand right. holding the box. I seem to recall a picture. I, I wasn't there the day they talked about the pizza. You I were, don't recall oh. seeing, no, I never did see any pictures of the, of the pizza. I think maybe you were out doing a live shot and I was home for the afternoon. So that's interesting because we know that there were certain things that came into evidence that then during those famous bench conferences uh, they ended up taking out but I can't imagine that that piece of that picture of the pizza would have been that's that's very interesting I I suspect maybe they scrolled past it on the screen and we all saw it but they didn't ever actually enter it why would that have been important to see because we were wondering how much of the pizza was eaten and by several of our notes we decided that it looked like very little of the pizza was ever eaten. Mm. Um, and why would that be important to your judgment? Uh, he 
admitted he ate a piece. And so basically the only pizza that was eaten was by him. Got it. Is what we kind of came down to. So the questions that are on everybody's mind are, what did you think of Darren Wint when he took the stand? Was he believable? (laughs) I think parts of it were believable, but when we dug into more of the details, it started to get a little crazy. Some of his memories were uh, suspiciously clear. Okay, sure. (laughs) He says, I remember sitting in a blue chair in the front room, but then he couldn't remember anything about other details. So um, that kind of gave us pause. Um, And the whole thing about driving from PCM to Garnett's house to breakfast to Ed's house but Darrell's phone not going to Ed's house but going to Hyattsville or uh, Gaithersburg it just didn't it was not making any sense. Ultimately it didn't add up. It didn't add up. But I think initially On the surface, it sounds like a great story, and it seems like it defended his claim. Right. It fit in with what we did. He had an alibi for everything, and I think as observers, we thought, gosh, I don't know. You're supposed to give someone the benefit of a doubt. If we are giving Darren Wint the benefit of a doubt, what he's saying fits in, and then it's up to the prosecution to blow it all apart. So for us, what really made us sit up and take notice was they said that Ed, his uh, alibi, was dead. What did you think when you heard that? Well, it's been three years, and Ed was supposedly old, but come to find out he wasn't that old. But um, no one else, this house that Ed lived in supposedly was full of people all the time, and people hung out there, but they couldn't find any of those people to say that he was there they found two neighbors um one of whom barely remembered the parents living there and the other of whom uh uh, did not want to pay attention to anything (laughs) um because he doesn't pay attention to other people's business this is the owner of the tire store yeah Um, but while we're on that let me ask you this the police officer who took the stand and said that he came there in the morning after hearing shots fired Darren says that he was asleep until 10 o'clock. What did you think of that testimony? It seems like if if his procedure that he would have knocked on the door of the address that sharpshooter or shot spotter had given them sounds legit. And if he really pounded on the door the way he says he did, uh, wouldn't the guy on the couch have woken up from that? But... Um, we, we all have the same thoughts. But then again, he doesn't actually remember it, and there's nothing in the report that said he actually knocked on that address. But uh, it added to our, our um, doubts about his story. So I want to go back to the beginning. When you were first called for jury duty, most people kind of think, oh, gosh, I hope I don't get picked. And then you do. 
How are you feeling? <laughs> and then realizing it's going to be a six-week trial. What was going through your, your head? Uh, it was largely, what do I tell work? And, you know, what are they going to do? The policy says they give five days of leave, but, um, you know, they ended up giving me administrative leave. Um, but then it's, uh, you're resigned to it, but also you're sitting through all this very tedious, you know, only 10% of it was interesting. Mm -hmm. A lot of it was very tedious. So I took a lot of notes to try to keep myself awake. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, not necessarily for reference, just to keep, make sure keep your I stay brain engaged. Focused. And I think all the jurors were kind of that way. Um, but they had to be meticulous, don't mm -hmm. you think? Because if they had sort of uh, broad stroked it for you, there would be too many holes. Right. I, I understand. They they have to, and to get it on the record, they have to verbalize all this stuff. Every this little the thing. phone number. Yes, it would be much easier to just give us a printout and say. And you want to just is. go, okay, we get it. <laughs> right. That's the phone number. Trust, yes. I believe you. Yes. yes. And yes, we know you handled that evidence in the normal way That's, with the that proper was the seals. <laughs> that is the really tough testimony to sit through when they have to go through chain of command and procedure, mm -hmm. and also when they have to certify someone as an expert witness. You want to say, okay, we yeah, get it. All right. This yeah, is let's your move on. Right. Let me go back to Darren for a second. So. What he couldn't explain on the stand was how his DNA got onto the knife because he said he didn't go in the basement. And also, he couldn't explain the hair that was in the bedding in the room where the three bodies were found. So um, what did you think of that? Well, he's on the stand. He can't explain that. Did that all of a sudden give you grave doubt? I think the hair on the bed in particular, because it was in the room with the adults and the bat. Um, that knife in the basement uh, honestly didn't really play into our discussions that really? much. Because they put, but they, they, they put spent so much, so much impetus, time into that. They, they spent a lot of time. But to you it was the hair that because only Stefan and the him room. could be there. Yeah, They put him in the room and we didn't think Stefan was there. Yeah. Um, despite the opening arguments that said he was, they gave no evidence that he was anywhere else. The only and, time they mentioned Stefan was during their arguments, which we're not supposed to consider evidence. And quickly, Stefan's testimony, believable? I think so. I, I don't doubt that a company like that is not super careful with their paper timesheets. So you believe he was at work and had nothing to do with I it? I think so. And that he just, Darren just threw him under the bus. It must have been cha challenging, though, in the beginning. You're, you're kind of drawn in. I mean, Christopher Bruckman starts off with, this is the stuff nightmares are made of. And you think, oh, no, what are we in for? Then the defense comes up and says, there, this is a miscarriage of justice. He didn't do it. These other three people did it. And we're going to prove to you that these other three people did it. That must have been like, okay, I don't even know which, where to go with this at this point. My mind is pretty analytical, and what I would have liked to do is just start reading about it all. But instead, we had to wait for them to lay this story out very slowly. Right. And uh, that's it, frustrating for, um, you know, you sit there for seven hours, and then you have to go home. And you've only heard little bits of testimony. And so you're trying to piece that together 
and and it took a few weeks before the whole story was really laid out. So in the meantime, it was a little. Were you waiting to hear? Oh, well, tell me about these other people. Yes, absolutely, and and Darrell in particular. Like, when are we going to hear from? You were thinking that we were guy. all thinking we were the all same thing. That. <laughs> like he's not. I don't think he's sitting in the courtroom. So where is this guy that was a key player? Um, and of course, we had to wait until rebuttal to hear uh, from and, him. And from what we understand, I think there might. I believe this case was. The, the tail end of this case was actually coming together while the case was going on. I think they weren't even 100% sure they were going to get Darrell to testify. And because I remember hearing uh, the defense saying, well, we didn't know Darrell was going to testify. And the prosecution saying, well, we didn't know you were going to do this. So it's amazing how some of these things kind of were unfolding. They weren't all set before the trial started. because well, we heard some things that you didn't hear. And one of the things we heard was Laura Bach telling uh, Judge McKenna that uh, Durrell was forthright with us. He'd come in, he'd given us the information, we'd interviewed him, um, we checked out his story. He has uh, always agreed to go before the grand jury. It was our decision not to put him before the grand jury. Now, we as... Um, uh, sort of amateur lawyers were thinking <laughs> this was you know this was this was a, a a calculated decision by the prosecution not to put him in front of the jury I'm sorry in front of the grand jury because then the defense couldn't impeach him on his grand jury testimony because he I've said in this podcast I thought Darrell was a terrible witness I yeah I don't I don't necessarily think he was completely forthright his explanations for the uh, money laundering scheme and that whole day. You were still left with questions about yes, the, yes, who, absolutely. when did he have the money, when were the money orders exchanged? I, um, uh, he may have been more involved than the prosecution claims that he was. But ultimately... But he wasn't on trial. And, yeah. um, but particularly his explanation for not asking Darren about going to burn the clothes, uh, well, presumably the clothes in the bag, right? What did you think of that? And when he admitted that he was with Darren when he got out to burn something, but then said he didn't ask Darren what it was all about? I, I, it seems like either, you know, I don't want to know, I don't want to know. Uh, he, you know, he runs, he's a drug dealer and in, in PG County, he or uh, Montgomery County, he knows when not to pay attention. Mm -hmm. um, Is it more believable to have someone on the stand who says, "Look, yeah, I've 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 done bad things. I've participated in criminal activity, but I didn't do this." Um, well, going back to Darren, I think one of the things that we discussed during our deliberation was that his taking the stand was not helpful to their Interesting. case. I think if he hadn't testified <clears throat> at all, it we would have had more base, the, the jurors who were struggling with doubt for obviously not too long, but I think they would have had um, a lot more to to work with to, there in to, terms of reasonable yes, doubt. Yes, absolutely. Because 
once he opened his mouth and admitted that was him who went into the garage and admitted he's the one who ate the pizza and admitted he was in the porch going up New York Avenue, there was a lot less um, to poke at in the prosecution's case when he put himself there and his DNA put himself well, there. Well, I think the only thing he, you know, he, he was piecing together the only thing he could because otherwise the DNA is right. there. And you'd have to believe that somewhere somebody got his DNA randomly and contaminated it around the crime scene. Right, and, and that was part of the logic that it, during our discussions, you know, the his defense was that my brother set me up. They're trying to frame me. So, so how are they doing this? They're feeding you pizza and taking your hair and putting it places, right? <laughs> and it sounds but, ridiculous now, but yeah. okay. So let's let's assume that's true. But then I'm supposed to believe that they then put it in the room that they doused in gasoline and expected to be completely destroyed then the evidence would be gone. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. If you're going to try to set somebody up, don't then destroy the evidence you're using to set them up. Now, one of the things uh, that you didn't hear was that Judith Pipe made um, uh, an argument to Judge McKenna that you should know that Darren had the right to all of that evidence, um, that for three years as the prosecutors were turning it over in discovery that he had the right to see it all and that she des she wanted you to know that i mean was there ever ever any doubt that he had access to that i i don't think so I, at least not to me yeah i i think it's it seems like common knowledge that the person the accused has a right to hear his accusers right so i want to talk a little bit about the victims and their family how difficult was that for you or for other jurors to have to process that information? I think, well, we, it took a while before the real, you know, photos came out. Right. And we all knew it was coming or assumed it was. Sure. And I, we all had heard of the case, um, you know, that was the first question they asked. How much do you know about the case? Well, everybody would heard of it, right. but I think we mainly had not continued to follow it. <laughs> sure. You know, you right. hear, oh, this thing happened three years ago, but I didn't continue It'd to follow it. It'd be impossible to find mm. uh, 12 people on a jury that hadn't right. at least heard of it. The right. key was people who could listen to the evidence yep. impartially. But then the, the, then the gruesome evidence came out. Right. Um, there was some of us who were disturbed by it more than others. I kind of shut my eyes maybe a little bit, you know, peer through mm -hmm. the fingers. Um, the Sava shirt that smelled really bad was a little stomach churning. You were closest to the jury I was stand. the closest. So oh, you could really smell it, it, huh? smelled bad immediately. And once they sealed it up, it still... Mm. smelled for a while in the mm. courtroom and supposedly they could hear it or uh, smell it, it out yeah. in the gallery too. Was there an effect of having the family sitting there in the front row and knowing that they were there that you would glance over and look at their reactions? Sometimes I would. I, my, from where I was sitting, I didn't have as good of a you view. You were a little further, right? Um, I was closest to the witness stand, so I could see Darren 
uh, much better than I could see the family. Um, but it was obvious they were all there, or the parents at least were there every day. Um, and we, you know, we, uh, other than Amy's father, we had not been told who these people were, but you we could assumed eventually Surmised, figure it I out. Say. Um, and um, uh, Sava's mother was very stone faced the entire time. Mm. Um, she, <laughs> having not met her, she seems very serious and. Gr- Granted, this is a very serious yeah. situation she's in, but um, she did not crack a yeah. smile at any point. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and what was it like um, with Darren facing you? Was there ever that moment of, this guy's looking at me? No. Or did he look at, no, at you guys at all? No, he did not, that I noticed. Um, Mr. Bruckman would stare us down. Um, and I don't know if it was just uh, doing his analysis. Probably of, just trying to, you know, take a look at. I don't know if they went to the bar reacting. afterwards and said, you know, <laughs> juror number seven looks skeptical. We need to. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they did. That must be a little Maybe. slightly uncomfortable. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but uh, Darren did not look over hardly at all. He would look. He was taking notes a lot of the time, and he would look down, um, occasionally whisper to his attorneys, but uh, nothing, not a lot of visible uh, expression or emotion. He did, a couple tears ran down his face during his testimony. You actually saw tears? Yeah. Really? Um, I could not tell I can't that recall from what where I was sitting. Of this, uh, I remember saying they seemed um, incongruous. They were at weird times. It didn't seem like they, the tears matched the words or the parts of his story that he was saying. It w- I, I would, could go back to my notes and see specifically, but they, didn't, they seemed weird or odd. What about when his girlfriend testified? Uh, was he emotional then? I don't remember his... She was very clearly emotional, and um, I was having trouble hearing her. I think so everybody was. I was yeah, focused. More I had on a her great difficulty hearing her. She said a couple things that I others heard that I didn't hear. Mm-hmm. Did you take any of this home with you? <laughs> uh, yes, um, especially toward the end when it really was coming down to, okay, we need to think about this um, for real (laughs) rather than just storing the information. And um, in fact, the two, I guess we were deliberating for two nights. Right. And uh, I had a cat throw up at three in the morning and wake me up and I couldn't get back to sleep. But either of those two mornings, just, you know, the brain, the wheels turning. um, What were you struggling with? Anything? Actually, when 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 it came down to making a decision, there was at the in fact at lunch on that Thursday, the last day, there was probably three jurors who were still, I wouldn't say um, leaning towards acquittal. I think they were still just not ready to. Um, pull the trigger on their verdict, I guess. Was there something that put them over the top? After we came back from lunch, there was a few of us who kind of expressed our 
feelings and we weren't trying to sway them per se as much as just bring out into the air like okay so we have where reasonable doubt is the standard so what does that mean and, I, and one of the things I had decided while I was laying awake was that the uncomfortable feelings that I was having was not doubt it was the gravity of the decision um, and the seriousness of it and how horrible the crimes were and the to be honest, the process of deliberation made me very nervous. I'm not a outgoing person, so being trapped in a room with 11 <laughs> other people... Gave you high anxiety? Was an anxiety-causing uh, process. I can see that, and especially with a, with a trial, like you said, of this gravity. I mean, you are likely, you're sending someone to prison for the rest of their life. Right. This was not a death penalty case. I wonder if the death penalty had been on the table if some of those people that had a little bit more doubt perhaps might have I think it might have and that was one of the things we actually mentioned we or I mentioned it along that same line was it's this is super serious um, consequences here and if we were in some other states it presumably would be death penalty on the line so this is not something to take lightly and we um, you know we don't want to make a decision rashly but any doubts that I had, I basically came to the conclusion that it was all on the periphery and there was no charges related to burning the van. There was no charges for burning the car. There was no charges for the money laundering. It was all the stuff that happened in the house and what he took. And he was in the house, his DNA was in the room with the adult bodies. The Australians saw him go in and he admitted it was him. And, and once we kind of narrowed it down to that, there was only a few elements of the charges that people were a little bit hung up on. Um, one was in burglary, the home has to be occupied when the person enters. Interesting, and they and never quite said how that all played out. Initially, some people were wondering, like, well, did they prove that? Well, when it came down to it, there was phone records that show Vera's phone going, presumably, on the red line from Silver Spring to Cleveland Park and or uh, Woodley Park, and then at the house for the rest of the time. And she got there at 9.30 a.m. So... She was there. She was there. In your mind, Someone she was, was there. there. And based on the doctor's appointments, they hadn't left yet. So unless somebody left, unless Vera left the house without her phone at some Which point. Which would be unlikely. Someone was in the house. So we kind of logicked that. Just took a little working yeah. through, right? Let's, let's go uh, to one question that everybody has, and that is, do you believe he did it alone? I waffle back and forth, but bottom line is it doesn't really matter. And that was some of the people who had more doubt than others. That was one of the things that I think made them decide, d decide was that he did not have to be the trigger puller, so to speak. He had to be a willing participant in the crime in total. 
which we all agreed happened. Mm. The first thing we did in the jury room was go through all the charges and we immediately agreed somebody did all of all 20 of these somebody did right the question is was it Darren Wynn and um, once it was kind of dominoes once we decided okay well he was in the house he was we don't believe he stayed downstairs his hair was upstairs then it was almost nitpicks about the words in the charges like okay so he was participating in kidnapping he was participating in burglary and the people were murdered so those murder charges are pretty clear how about the first degree premeditated murder was there premeditation yes we agree there had to have been premeditation but was it him but and I found out that there was argument whether to include the instructions about abetting or not. Yeah. But there, they were included, and there was a lot of words in the instructions about what abetting means, and it says that you have to be an active participant in the crime and w the killing, uh, but you don't have to be the person who... Right stabbed or beat or lit the match and um, some people weren't sure about you know well what if they were still alive and he didn't realize that they um, but my logic for that was even if they were sake of argument let's say they were and he thought they would survive dousing them in gasoline and lighting them on fire pretty much eliminates any possibility that. that they will survive. What about Jordan Wallace? Um, <laughs> he is sort of the wild card yeah. in this. Uh, people in our group uh, have speculated about him and talked about him for years now. Um, I saw his testimony. I believe he was believable. Um, I don't think he had anything to do with this. Um, what did you guys think? We honestly did not even discuss Jordan Wallace's testimony because I don't think anybody had any doubts about it. The defense clearly wanted us to. Um, they spent an awful lot of time trying to trip him up about whether the keys were in the car or not or where he had to go to open the door and and you know why did he lie to detectives about the money and it was pretty obvious what his, you know he was very upset about this horrible situation that he had found himself in and and you know <clears throat> it's after midnight and he's been there all day and uh these detectives are yelling at him and and he's just his boss told him to do this job and he did it and you know i i find it hard to believe that he was somehow part of a huge conspiracy is what it would have had to been. Yeah, um, yeah. So you didn't buy it. I didn't buy it, and I don't think any of the other jurors no. did either. Yeah. It wasn't discussed. Yeah, very interesting. Um, did did we want to go through some of these questions, or was there anything that stood I out that you saw? I think we pretty much covered. I, I think they all have the same questions we have, right? They all pretty much had the right? same questions. Do you, um, had you done any research and gone now, do you, do you realize the, the, uh, the criminal history that Darren Wint had, and would it? Do you wish that some of that information might have been available to you? Um, so I did. After 
after uh, I, I took Friday off that the day I can after, imagine that. <laughs> and um, <laughs> I did kind of dig into some of the old news reports. Um, I watched. 2020 had a whole episode about yeah. it. Yeah. I, I watched that um, afterwards too. And I mm -hmm. think, I don't remember if you were on it, but um, there's a lot of local reporters who, you know, and then I actually listened to the last episode of your podcast. Okay. And then since then, I listened to the others. Right. And um, I, I did, it was interesting how much more history he had that we were not told um we were told that he had previous convictions obviously his dna was the flag that and and it so you almost, guys caught on to that right. that, that if it's, he hadn't had some sort of violent criminal past his dna wouldn't right. have been in the system it seemed like the you defense was trying to cover that up yeah for you us, didn't maybe, need laura bach to tell you that no right? it was that, pretty obvious yeah they they objected i think or maybe there was a stipulation or the judge made an, in, uh, an instruction that you know don't take anything from the fact that he his dna was on in a database but it's pretty clear you know they're not going to 23andMe to get this DNA. <laughs> right. um, so that was pretty obvious. But they didn't tell us that he had um, beaten up a guy in upstate New York and um, uh, some of the other, uh, you know, uh, uh, threatening his dad, you know, threatening to kill his dad. Um, some of that stuff, I one of the early podcast episodes had his sister, and she's you know yeah. saying how great he is and could never do anything bad to a person. And I'm thinking, is she aware of you know what he did to? Yeah, his she just dad? came in and just flat out lied. It seems yeah. like that. Yeah. People will do things sometimes to protect people that they love and they their family, and they can't explain why right. they say the things that they do, but sometimes people will lie for their loved ones. So I, 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 from our deliberations, I don't know if that, we were very careful to try to do it right. Yeah. And, um, you know, not let emotions play in, but just the facts like we're supposed to do. I don't think any of the jurors were, um, disobeying the judge and talking to their mm -hmm. friends or going to the library to read about the case um even though it would be very easy um but well, let me ask you that right now was it hard to stay away with all the social media that's out there and, and available on your phone what you were doing was it hard to <laughs> just to keep away from that um well i don't watch a lot of tv news so i didn't have to worry about that but reading um you know, you might see a headline. Yeah. It would like, say oh, the trial started, but you just scroll past and, and there's, you know, there was no details in the headline. It would say, you know, right. jury selection began in this yeah. trial. Um, sometimes you would see a tweet that, um, you know, NBC News links to their story, um, but there's never any detail in the tweet itself. It's yeah. a link that you're supposed to click. So Did anyone ever come click. up to you and say, I know what you're doing. Oh, my coworkers for sure. They totally knew it. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, what other six week trial are <laughs> they, you going to be right, on right. that you can't talk about? So you told they me when knew. you came in um, that once you were able to talk about it, that's been the non -top, nonstop conversation piece at, at your work. Uh, yeah, a lot of people want to hear, you know, 
the details, but I mean, it's the same details that they've heard. It's just what were they, they mostly curious about? Just your impressions of it? I I think a part of it's morbid curiosity. Sure. Um, they want to know like, what did you see? What did they really show you that we didn't see on the news? Mm. Um, but then it's also what I think a lot of people can't separate the 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 legal legalese and sure. burden of proof and they they're like well duh he's guilty why you know why did you have to go through seven weeks of mm. trial and two and a half days to discuss like obviously but you know we as jurors tried to be more serious than well that and the and case was complicated by deliberate. the fact that you then had it wasn't just we have this suspect and here's the evidence it, the case was complicated by the defense right intentionally complicated when they threw in Stefan, when they mm -hmm. threw in Durrell, and they threw in Jordan Wallace, because then you had to hear all this other evidence about other people and cross-examination and then redirect on three other people that on a simpler case you wouldn't have had. Right, and we took it seriously. We weren't just gonna go law and order and decide. Right. Law and order mm -hmm. in the generic sense not the tv show but uh um we we wanted to give him a fair impartial did it matter so, whether you had a motive or not since some people on our facebook group also wondered okay they didn't actually prove motive they gave some they, and they don't have to right i we just keep going that's just newsroom <laughs> newsroom chatter yeah newsroom background, <laughs> newsroom chatter. background. i think um there was clearly at least a, a financial motive, even if that was secondary to something else. Um, the, 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 the money was... That was what stuck out to you, yeah, was the, fi I mean, the financial whether he motive. Had, whether he had an axe to grind for 10 years with his old boss and took that to a very extreme... I, I don't know. Right. But, um, and, and, you know, some jurors may have thought there was some sort of, you know, hit out. And, but, and, then, and, and I know now, now that, that wasn't you go back important. reading about it, that there would have been a lot of speculation. Yeah. Oh, this has to be, um, that there has to be something more to this. This has to be a, a big conspiracy. The Savopolis family had to have been involved in something. Right. And there's a lot of unanswered questions, but when it comes down to it, it didn't matter with the case against this one man. Right. Whether he didn't take the money out of the safe or take the Rolexes or that take That was very strange, guns, wasn't it? It was strange. And you're like, why did they show us that? Why did they show us the money and the guns? What does that's, that have to do with that's, anything? That's strange. The, the van is strange. Why was it downtown... Why did he tow it? All of that. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. And there is clearly a different person running with a bucket behind La Fontaine Blue. We may never know who that is or what his involvement is. But, again, doesn't really matter because the core of the case in that bedroom was yeah. Darren Wynn, so, not some guy with a bucket. So do you have one outstanding question you wish could be answered? <laughs> <laughs> um 
I guess it would just be the truth of what actually happened inside that house. Yeah, yeah. Because we'll never, we'll know never that, know. I don't no, think. no. Um, uh, two what other. What happened to the security uh, computer? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. How did he get rid of that? That that has come up, right? Because, so w we. As as Melanie and I have analyzed this, and and with the evidence that we've had and heard, we've come to the conclusion that when he went into the garage for the money and seen by the Australians, that the family was already dead. I right? agree. He then goes into the van to move it because he knew he knows if it's found in the neighborhood, he'll get caught. He drives the van down to Pennsylvania Avenue for reasons we'll never know. We don't know how he got back to the house. Then the assumption is he goes inside, he sets the house on fire, he gets into the Porsche, and he drives away. So um, based on the evidence, that's what we believe has happened. Um, but uh, like you say, the man running away with the bucket, uh, you had the woman from La Fontainebleau swear that that was not Darren, and that was believable to you. Well, I saw the video. It didn't really look like it didn't look like him. I mean, Did granted, it, like it was Durrell? grainy. Mm, Darrell's too big. Too big. That's what I thought, too. Yeah. He's a big guy. Yes. And I think that was important as well, I think, for the prosecution to bring him in to show you how big he actually was. I think just that visual mm -hmm. said, that guy's not him. Uh, Darrell's testimony, um, uh, you know, the, the, the question, one of the things that Melanie and I have talked about is the fact that you know, he, he can't remember where he was at certain times on those two days. And I said to Melanie, I said, you know what? If I knew that this had happened and my brother was possibly involved, I'd immediately write down everything oh, I could see, remember. I have a totally different take on that. Do you? I do because I don't remember what I was doing. No, uh, but I mean, he knew within days that Darren was a suspect. They were significant days to him, but those days were not, he was probably stoned most of the time or drinking. Those were not significant events in his life. You don't remember the days that are but your ordinary days. But did you struggle days. with that as far as he didn't know where he was? Even? I found a little bit. I don't think he was completely forthright, but I think that was more of his own... He had several ladies that he was yeah. trying to keep from knowing <laughs> about each phones. other. Yeah. He, he was also dealing. He had multiple phones. You know, he, he had other reasons not to be telling everybody where he was. And um, so I, I didn't buy that. I didn't buy that his main phone was given away to someone else yeah. to create this the false defense, alibi. The I defense tried to really drive that home with two witnesses. But didn't makes <clears throat> the timeline didn't make sense if he gave it to Garnett and then drove Darren to Atlantic Street mm -hmm. while the phone went to High or uh, Gaithersburg, but aunt in Gaithersburg testified that he, Darrell was in Gaithersburg. Yeah. It wasn't so unless aunt is in on it too and covering right. for Garnett. Like, it's a lot of there's right. so many yeah. and it, it almost comes down to Occam's razor what's the simplest solution right. and it's not that. <laughs> so we're, we're going um, to wrap things up here. Uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you was uh, what struck me when I was reading a lot of the Facebook comments 
one of our group members said this is the kind of case that makes you want to come up with a code word mm. for your family. Is there anything else you think that has had that will have a lasting impression or impact on you? Um, well, I think we all suspect it, but everything you put out into the internet or even on your device, it never really goes away. Mm. Um, they pulled Facebook records going back however many years and including the deleted stuff. So you delete as much as you want. It's all still out there somewhere. Mm -hmm. That's a good lesson. And, and uh, your phone knows a lot about you. And for most of us, we keep our phones with us. Right. And uh, uh, um, it's, it's certainly something the government can use to create a timeline of your whereabouts. Right. So following up on Melanie's question, did it, did it dawn on all of you that, geez, there were so many opportunities for mm -hmm. people to mm -hmm. learn that there was mm -hmm. trouble and it didn't happen. I think that's the saddest part of all yeah. in this case. The, the sprinkler company, Vera's husband is probably the hardest. He was literally right outside. That's haunting. Um, that was another thing that, uh, with the story, that didn't, um, that was a flag. Was he at, uh, Sava had left that message for Nelly the night before, and it said, um, please let Vera's, her phone is dead, please tell her husband, you know, she's not going to get home tonight. Um, but then the next morning, uh, he has, clearly has her husband's phone number. So, I mean, there, that's another sign that something was wrong. That he was um, able to call Bernardo. That was missed, and that, that's very sad. Like, he, you know, it clearly was, I'm assuming, looking down from the bedroom window and seeing the guy poking around, and um, that's... All right, I have one other question I've got to know, because Melanie and I and all of us reporters kept looking at this one juror who okay. gave everything away. We called him Mr. Incredible uh -huh. uh, because he's he, your foreman, I believe. Foreman. He was the foreman, and he didn't. Uh, Jeffrey we Stein no when he got up there. <laughs> he just looked at Jeffrey Stein like, "Are you kidding me?" Well, I couldn't see from my angle what his uh, <laughs> facial expressions were. I did notice the tennis match. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. I know who that is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, he, he may have expressed his internal monologue a little externally, but um, once we got in the jury room, um, it was very... Um, methodical the way we went through it and respectful mm -hmm. of, of everyone's yes. Yes. thought process mm -hmm. and, and opinion mm -hmm. yeah well we can't thank you enough for coming in juror number nine and so many of our people on the on the facebook group also said to say thank you very much for the sacrifice that that you and the other jurors made to sit through this horrendous story and be privy to all of that evidence and and to again yeah, they way, wrote in that, that they wanted to thank you for your service. Well, thanks for having me. Okay. Well, that does it, I think. I think we, we thought we, this, you know, the last one was the last one, but I think this is the I last one. I think this podcast. is probably the last one. Yeah. We'll move on to others. Right. So thanks so much for joining thanks us once for coming again, in. you guys. We really appreciate it.